Pray the Lord to send one more revival to our nation. Um, I love reading about the Great Awakening and some of the things that uh, God did in the past in our nation. I'm actually going to uh, be referring to a message uh, this morning that was preached during the Great Awakening. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with the Great Awakening, but you know there's been times in America in the past where they did. They got away from God. There was a time in America where things were going good and things were prosperous and man got looking at themselves and looking at all the work that they had done and really, they kind of forgot about God. And we that happened all the time in Israel. And God warned them that it would happen. He said, beware lest you forget when you go into these lands and you're living in houses you didn't build and you're eating from trees that you didn't plant that... You know, you start to get full. It's a beware lest you forget. And they did. They they forgot. And you know, I think part of our problem in America is we're just we're too blessed, and we've forgotten who those blessings came from. They come from God. We hear people constantly talking about rights anymore. Always talking about our rights that we have, and people forget where our rights come from. Our rights come from. The Creator. Just like it says in our Constitution, the Creator. God. He's the one uh, that we uh, our rights are from. And rights are you know, not something that... you know, Government's just meant to protect rights. They are not the source of our rights. And uh, boy, uh, the mentality of America today, it's really getting out of control. And I really believe that Whenever, if you want to blame somebody, okay, you know, we all like to point the fingers and we all like to blame. And as much as I'd love to just point to the White House or point to Washington, D.C. and blame those people, I believe the ones that we should be blaming are God's people. And I believe the churches. And they are the ones, we're supposed to be the ones making the difference. We're supposed to be the ones, you know, getting the message out. And we failed to do that last week. We talked about how you know we've kind of been, uh, you know, we've a lot of people have fallen for this idea that Christianity that's fine for you, but you got to keep it to yourself and make sure you don't let anybody know about it. And that is uh, that's not the case. And really, uh, the message today, I guess, could kind of be a continuation of that because really, why is it? That people don't want us. I mean, you know, they they say you can have your Christianity, but keep it to yourself. Why would they have a problem with us being vocal about our faith, about our belief in God? Why would they have a problem with us being vocal about you know righteousness and holiness? I mean, really, what's so offensive about the Ten Commandments? Okay, and I mean, it shouldn't be that offensive. But people, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be reminded of it. And really, I believe the reason for that is because the Word of God, people living the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, all these things cause, will cause something to happen in the life of somebody who has sin in their life. And it's called conviction. It's called conviction. I want to talk this morning about what I call old-time conviction. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Conviction is something that most people today, I mean, they, they don't even really know about it. If they go to a church and get convicted, they'll probably never go back to that church again. And, they, uh, and it's because they don't understand conviction is a good thing. And we're, we'll look at why that is here. But I want to read a few verses to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful. That word quick there simply means alive. Right? This is a living book. It's quick and powerful. And that's why it still applies today. People keep talking about the ancient text. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's old. Right? It is ancient. But you know what? It's the Word of God. And therefore, age doesn't matter. God's word is true. If it was true back then, it's true today. And this idea we got to change everything for the times is ridiculous. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We see in this passage that the Word of God, it is a powerful, powerful tool. It is like a sword. that I mean, it will pierce you. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It knows our hearts. It knows what we're thinking. I mean, the Word of God, it can it sees right through everything. People, we can try to put up a front. We can try to... We can try to deceive others. We can even deceive ourselves. But the Word of God, it exposes everything. I mean, everything is naked to the Word of God. It sees right through everything. And let me tell you something. When the Word of God is being preached and when the Word of God is being lived and proclaimed, it's going to touch people's hearts. And if there's sin in their life, it's going to convict. It's going to bother. It's going to hurt. And conviction, I believe, is something that seems to be missing and many church services today. Nobody ever wants to feel bad about anything no matter what they've done. Many churches, they've sought to accommodate those people too. Those who want to find a place where they can just come, feel comfortable, instead of being convicted, which is what we need. We need to be convicted. And what's happened is they've watered down the Gospel That's to where now it's not accomplishing anything. In people's lives. I mean, really, what is the gospel? Well, gospel means good news. Well, what's the good news? Well, to get the good news, you've got to know what the bad news is. The bad news is you are a sinner and deserve to spend eternity in hell. But the good news is Jesus Christ loves you anyway. He died for your sins. And if you'll receive, if you'll receive that gift of salvation, you can be saved. We want to give the good news without giving the bad news. We don't want people to feel bad about their sin. We don't, I mean, and then half the things that are sin, we don't want to call sin because we don't want to look like we're, you know, we're being mean, or we don't want to look like bigots. They're calling us more and more if we take stands against certain sins. And today, I mean, most churches you go to, you will not be convicted. I talked to an individual one time. And they mentioned a church that they were going to. And he said he will not go to that church anymore because every time he goes to that church, the preacher makes him feel bad. And the preacher didn't even know the guy. 
The preacher wasn't trying to make him feel bad. But you know what he was doing? That told me they're preaching the Word of God there. And that guy was getting convicted. And he didn't know that was supposed to happen when you go to church. And so he quit going to that church and found a church where he wouldn't get convicted. And let me tell you, there's plenty of those around, but that is not what we need. And you know, back and back in the old days, we got we have our theme, ask for the old paths. I forgot to put the banner back up there. But the, ask for the old paths. Let me tell you, back in the day, people they got convicted a lot easier than they do today. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the message Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. A very well known message that was preached by Jonathan Edwards uh, way back. And uh, well, I'll tell you the date it was preached. It was preached in July eighth, seventeen forty one. So, uh, long time ago, almost the anniversary of it's coming up, seventeen forty one. So you do the math on how many years ago this was. But Jonathan Edwards he accepted an invitation to preach at the neighboring town of Enfield, Connecticut. It was the height of the Great Awakening and one of the most intense outpourings of God's Spirit in American history. The fire of God was falling everywhere, and despite the fact he had delivered sinners in the hands of an angry God to his own congregation with little effect, he felt led to use it again in Enfield. One of the things you'll know about sermons and anything, the Holy Spirit of God, He's moving. It doesn't really matter who's speaking. It doesn't matter how impressive they are. The Holy Spirit is what we need in every service more than anything. You need to pray. You know, Lord, fill Brother Tommy with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, let Your Holy Spirit do a work. I can't do a work that's going to make a difference in anybody's life. But the Holy Spirit can. And the Holy Spirit showed up that day on July 8th. and His techniques were unimpressive. He always read His sermons in an even voice, but with great conviction. He shuns shouting and theatrical antics. Impressing the listener with the power of truth and His desperate need for God was Edward's goal. Nothing in his style or presentation could account for what happened that day in Enfield. An eyewitness, Stephen Williams, wrote in his diary, We went over to Enfield where we met dear Mr. Edwards of Northampton who preached a most awakening sermon from these words, Deuteronomy 32.35. And before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying went out through the whole house. What shall I do to be saved? Oh, I am going to hell! Oh, what shall I do for Christ? And so forth. So yet we, ye minister, was obligated to desist. Ye shrieks and cry were piercing and amazing. I don't know if you've ever read Sermons Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God too. When you read it, it's not that scary. But they say too that people were literally hanging on to their seats. Just, I mean, they were fearing that they were going to fall into hell that moment. The Holy Spirit was speaking. I mean, moving so strongly. These people were so greatly convicted. But Williams continued after some time of waiting. The congregation were still. So yet a prayer was made by Mr. Williams, and after that we descended from the pulpit and discoursed with the people, some in one place and some in another. And amazing and astonishing, ye power of God was seen, and several souls were hopefully wrought upon that night. And oh, ye cheerfulness and pleasantness of their countenance. I mean, what an amazing day that was. And let me tell you what happened. People, they just got some real Holy Ghost. Conviction during that message. And I'm here today to tell you that if there is anything we need in our services today is we need conviction.
to come on people. Not just guilt poured on you by the preacher. I mean, if I wanted to, I could probably make you feel guilty. I could probably make you feel bad. But you know, that's not what I want. But the whole, we want the Holy Spirit to show up. And when He does, He will convict hearts. I mean, when the Holy Spirit really shows up, when God's presence fills a place, it is going to be convicting. I think about Isaiah when he got in the presence of God. Bible says he fell on his face, on his face, said, "Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips." When he got in the presence of God, boy, he it just it, he felt terrible. He felt worthless. When we if we when we get in the presence of God, when the Holy Spirit shows up, people aren't going to walk out feeling good. They're going to feel terrible. They're going to feel convicted. And let me tell you, that's what we need because we, that conviction it will hopefully cause you to get things right. It will hopefully cause you to start getting that sin out of your life, which ultimately will make you feel better. Okay, the goal is not to make you feel bad and get, keep you feeling bad forever. The goal is to get you convicted so you'll change, and then you can feel better. Then you'll feel better. But we live in a society today that will do everything they can to get rid of that conviction. People they feel guilty about something, they feel bad because of their sin, they'll go somewhere they won't preach against any sin. They'll go to some church where people will just tell them how great they are. And then they still feel bad because they're just living wicked lives. And so then they'll go to a doctor who can prescribe them pills to make them feel happy all the time and to make them feel better because, and it's just, it's guilt. And let me, they're, they're convicted and they'll do everything they can to mask that and get rid of that. But I want just a few things. I want to show you why conviction it should be looked at as a blessing. First of all, conviction means that God is speaking to you. I mean, now listen, I think if you went to the 99% of people that are going to church today, before they walked in the church said, hey, would you like for God to speak to you today? Well, I would love it if God spoke to me. Would you like for the Holy Spirit to give you a message? I think they would all say, yes, I would love that. But here's the thing. If He does, there's probably going to be conviction. There's probably going to be conviction. And that's what happens when God speaks to you. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword. Why does it compare it to a two-edged sword? Why does it compare it to a soft, fluffy feather? Right, have you ever taken a, something soft, feather, and you know, rubbed it on your face and it feels good? And that's what people want these days. They want that soft feather. They want their ears tickled. But yet, what we need is we need the sword. And swords hurt. Swords pierce. And that's what the Bible says the Word of God does. And if, the Holy, if you're being convicted, it's because God's speaking to you. And if God's speaking to you, that means that God has a plan for you. I think if you went to the average person going into the churches today, hey, you know, do you want to God? You hope God has a plan for your life. Would you like God to reveal His plan for your life? Well, of course, I would. I would love that. But you know what? You know what God usually has to do to do that? He's usually got has to knock us down. He's usually got to get our attention. You, uh, we're not going to take time to read it, but if you read about Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul, he was on that road to Damascus to go persecute Christians. And you know what? The Lord knocked him down with a light. And you know what God said to him when Jesus Christ spoke to him? He said, Saul, Saul, boy, you're such a great guy, you just don't know it yet. Is that what he said? You know what the first thing he said to him? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What was he trying to do? Make Saul feel bad? 
Yes. <laughs> he was pointing out a serious sin in his life. He was going, he was persecuting the church, which was persecuting Christ. And the Lord called him out on it. And you know the story. He got saved. He ended up getting his sight back and became probably the greatest preacher that ever lived. I mean, just won many people to Christ, but he had to get convicted first. And the Lord convicted his heart. And then he told him to go to Ananias' house, and God said, I've got a plan for you. He didn't tell Saul all of his plan. I tell you, I, I, you know, it's amazing when you read these stories after you know the whole story. God told Saul, He said, you know, I, I've got a plan for you. I've got something, I've got something for you. But God didn't tell him everything. Because the truth is, what was in, ahead for Saul? A lot of difficulties. Being shipwrecked, being whipped several times, being stoned. I mean, I mean, not long after that, he literally had to escape. You know, he had to escape Jerusalem. They had to lower him down in a basket because people were seeking his life. It was a difficult road for Paul. But first thing that God did before He revealed His plan, He spoke to him and he got convicted, and he got right. And God may be just getting ready to show you what He's going to do next in your life. But we need that conviction for God to be able to speak to us, for us to be able to hear God. God does He doesn't lay His entire plan out for you. He wants us to walk with Him daily and He'll guide your steps one step at a time. Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Picture walking out in the darkness. you got that little lamp. You can't see real far. You can't see what's way off in the future. But the Word of God, it doesn't show us everything, but it shows us what we need to see. If you're, out, if you're walking in a dark place, you just need to know what's ahead of you for maybe several feet. And that's the way, that's the way, God, that's the way God works. God, when God's speaking to you, He may be trying to stop you from doing something that's going to bring you pain. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. I'll read a passage there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. We've got, got several scriptures. We probably don't have time to get to all of them. Verse 28 says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burdens light. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. Sometimes God's plan seems difficult. But the truth is, while there are some hard times we go through overall, following God is going to make things easier for you. Overall, in the long term, you are going to be better off. It is an easier path. And you know, it's, it's amazing how people, oh, it's hard being a Christian. It's hard doing right. Have you seen the results of people that are living for themselves and doing whatever they want to do? It's not pretty. And you know what? Sometimes God, He speaks to us. He convicts us because He needs us to change path because He sees where we're heading. He sees you heading maybe for prison. He sees you heading for drunkenness or whatever it is. God sees that and so He convicts you because He's trying to get you to stop doing something that's going to ruin your life and make it more difficult. Oh, it's hard. You know how hard it is to make a stand and to have to, you know, to say no to all my friends, you know, when they're all wanting to go off drinking it. It's hard saying no and being the only one not doing it. Yeah, that might be difficult, but you know what? It sure isn't near as hard as being a drunk. It sure isn't near as hard as living with the guilt that sometimes comes over what you do under the influence of alcohol. 
Overall, it's easier. And conviction sometimes can deter us from taking the wrong path. And we, that's why we need to thank God for it. We need to want conviction. If the Lord's speaking to you, if you're convicting, if He's convicting you, it also means that God is not done with you. God's not done with you. I, I don't know about you, but I, I like the sound of that. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by this, by many of this man, talking about Paul or Saul of Tarsus, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had something for Saul. That's why God spoke to him. I mean, if you stop to think about it, here you have a man that is on the road to Damascus. His intention is to persecute the church. His intention is to kill Christians. Now, wouldn't it seem fitting if God would have, while he was on the road to Damascus, struck him down with a bolt of lightning? I think that would have been totally appropriate if God would have done that. But you know what? God didn't do that. He didn't strike him down. He spoke to him. Paul got convicted. But you know what? God did that because God had a plan for him. God was not done. Even though everyone would say, yes, Saul, he crossed the line. He went too far. We see that God was not done. And let me tell you, anybody that God is speaking to, anyone who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit, that means God still has something for them. They're not done. There's people out there, they might seem like they're too far gone. They might seem like it's too late. But let me tell you something, if the Holy Spirit is still speaking to them, if He's still convicting their heart, there's still something they can do for God. They could still be something for God. And that and conviction is a sign that God still has something for you. I would be scared to death if I never got convicted about anything. If the Holy Spirit never spoke to me, that would be a scary thing. I wouldn't want to go to a church where I never got convicted. I'd, I'd get out of that place as fast as I could. But you know, you, uh, the world, they may think that you're without hope. They may think you're useless. Christians may think you're without hope. They might think you're useless. But if God is still, still speaking to you and convicting you, God still has something. God still has something for you. And so, you know, the question is, is well, are people going to are you going to listen to that? But things that bring conviction. What is it? Because really, now, said we're not. I'm not talking about putting people on a guilt trip. All right? Have you ever known somebody that was really good at putting people on a guilt trip? All right. You know, maybe, maybe you know, maybe your mom would do that to you. Know she knew she knew how to really put you on a guilt trip, or your wife knows how to put you on a guilt trip. We're not talking about a guilt trip. Sometimes people they'll use guilt trips, maybe as a as a way of controlling. Alright? That's, uh, even preachers sometimes can do that. They know how to put people on a guilt trip. You know, just make, just maybe to control. We're not talking about that. We're talking about real Holy Ghost conviction. That's something that's gonna change your life. If you put me on a guilt trip, okay? Or, your, maybe your mom put you on a guilt trip. Whatever it is, chances are, if you're, if, if I'm just putting you on a guilt trip, you are gonna do what you think I want you to do to just keep me off your back. Okay, if, that, if 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 it's just me, and I could I could probably do that. Okay, if I you know if I want you all being here at church, I could probably guilt you into coming to church. I could I could come up with some stuff and just make it sound to me. You know, you miss church, boy. You're just 
I mean, you have no appreciation for the effort I'm putting into these messages and the time I take to study. I, I, I could I could throw in some of that stuff and try to make you feel bad. It's like you don't know how it makes me feel. I just feel terrible. I wonder if the people don't like me. You know, make you feel bad. Okay. And, and but here's the thing: if it's just me putting you on a guilt trip, when I'm not looking, you'll be doing something totally different. If I'm not going to be here, you won't be here. But if it's real. Holy Ghost conviction. It's not going to matter what I say. It's not going to matter where I'm at. If it's real Holy Ghost conviction, if I can pass, if the Holy Ghost convicts my children about right and wrong and certain things, it's not going to matter if I'm around or not. The Holy Ghost is going to be there convicting their hearts, and it's going to make a difference. And so, what are these things that can bring conviction? Because that's what we need to use. Okay, not guilt trips. Because otherwise, it only works when we're around, and we can't be around everybody all the time, especially our friends and our neighbors and our our family members that we want to be saved. What can we use that will bring real Holy Ghost conviction that can make a difference? Well, first of all, what we talked about the very first passage we read, the Word of God. That's why we've got to do our best to get the Word of God out there. You know, quote, quoting scriptures, trying to leave, trying to leave scriptures. You know, giving them a Bible, giving them a John and Romans, giving them a gospel tract. If they read those scriptures, those scriptures, okay, they pack a punch. Bible says, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, John three sixteen is going to have a lot more of an effect on somebody's soul than you just saying, you know, than you just. Put them on a guilt trip. Say, you know, you're so rotten. You know, you ought to. You know, I'm so much better than you. You know, having that attitude that we we pass on sometimes. I mean, we need to use the Word of God. That the Word of God convicts people. That's why they're trying to change a lot of things. Some of the stuff in here, boy. I mean, yeah, it speaks. It speaks pretty harsh. It speaks pretty loud. It's it's very clear. It's very specific. It's not vague. Well, that's one thing a lot of the Bibles doing. They're trying to make things. It's like they're making it a little more vague, so you can kind of interpret it however you want. I mean, there's some verses in this King James Bible. I think I think the way it's written, I think a lot of preachers are scared to say it, to quote it. I mean, there's some very strong language in this Bible. And it's that way on purpose because it's truth and it's supposed to convict. And we've got to do all we can to get the word of God. People, whether it's putting, giving them a Bible, whether it's giving them a gospel tract, whether it's quoting them scriptures, the Word of God is what brings conviction, and we have got to use that tool. Also, another thing the Word of God or that brings conviction is a preacher of righteousness. And let me tell you something: a preacher of righteousness. It, that's not just talking about a pastor in a church. Okay, that's something that can be for man, woman, child. Anybody, a preacher of righteousness is just somebody who's sharing the Word of God. Somebody who's given the Word of God saying, you know, just simply maybe somebody asking you why you go to church. Why do you go to church? Well, if you say, well, it's because I want to be a good person. I don't want to be like my neighbors that are just, you know, reprobates. I just, I want to be good and I want to do right. Okay, now you're using the guilt trip. Okay? But if you are if you're if you're asked about that, why do you go to church? Well, let me tell you, you know, the Lord saved my soul. Give me your salvation testimony, and I want to please him. And God's word says not to forsake the assembling. And give them if you give them scripture. You know what you're doing? You're being a preacher of righteousness. You're you're preaching the word. 
You don't have to have a pulpit to do it. You don't have to be in a church building. All you have to do is have Scripture and to be sharing that. And you know what? That will convict. If you just say it's because I want to be better than you, okay, then they're just going to they're going to come up with some. They're going to find some fault in your life, and it won't be hard. They're going to come up and they're going to just try to. You know, they'll start comparing themselves with you. But when you give Scripture, what are they what are they going to quote to top that? Oprah, Time Magazine. You know what? What, they, what? What can you do to top scripture? You can't. You can't do that. And we the, uh, we need preachers of righteousness. Acts chapter five verse thirty three says that when they heard that talk, Stephen was preaching, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay him. And you know what? In that case, they did. You know, many people have died for preaching the gospel. Why? Because people got convicted and they reacted violently to it. That has happened and it still happens today in some places. And uh, sad sort, Stephen, he got stoned just for preaching the Word, preaching the truth because they got convicted. But let me tell you something about Stephen. The Bible has nothing but good things to say about him. It says he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And because he was full of the Holy Ghost, when he preached, there was conviction. Cut them to the heart. And unfortunately, they didn't repent. In that case, they killed him. Let me tell you, there's a martyr's crown waiting for Stephen in heaven. And I guarantee you, he's glad he did it. But another thing also, well, you know what? Go to Mark chapter 6. This was in the Bible reading for this week. I read this story. I was reading. I thought, you know what? I'm adding this to the message. I love this story. But this is about John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Mark chapter 6, verse 12 says, And they went out, talking about Jesus and the disciples, and preached that men should repent. How dare, you know, what hate speech? Telling people they need to repent, telling them they need to get things right. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Herod, when he heard about Jesus, thought it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, or Jesus got mistaken for John the Baptist. One of the best compliments anybody ever got in the Bible. I love that. He thought it was John the Baptist. Others said that it is Elias. Others said that it is a prophet or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Why did he cut off John the Baptist's head? Well, if you read the story, oh, we'll go ahead and read it. It says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. You know what John the Baptist did? Preached the truth to him. He he pointed out his sin. John preached repentance everywhere he went. And John told Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You've broken the law of God. And Herodias did not appreciate that. She was filled with spite. She was angry at him. And you know the story. Her daughter danced before Herod. He was pleased. And he said, hey, you can have whatever you want up to half my kingdom. And she went and talked to her mom. And you know what her mom said? You go ask for the head of John the Baptist. And they went and they cut off the head of John the Baptist. Why Why was she like that? She got convicted. When he preached, she was made to feel bad. She didn't like it. What she should have done was repented. But she didn't. And John the Baptist died that day 
because of just preaching the word. It's going to make people mad when you preach the truth because they're going to, they're, because they're getting convicted because it, it makes them, it makes them feel bad. Another another thing too that will convict people is a good example. First Timothy four twelve, Paul told Timothy to be an example of a believer in word and conversation and faith and purity. He told be an example when people see you living it. That really is convicting. You know, people love preachers that get up and preach on holiness and things and then fall into sin. Why do you think it's such big news whenever a big name preacher gets busted in a scandal? You know why that's big news? Because now, all that stuff he preached, people don't have to feel bad anymore. Oh, yeah, he was just another phony. Yeah, that guy that preached and said you ought to do this and you, you shouldn't do that. He was just as rotten as all the rest of us. And they, they love it. Those are big stories. Nobody talks about the guy who's been preaching the truth for 50 years and did right his whole life. Nope. Everybody wants to hear about the phony. Why? Because the example brings conviction. And... We need to be a good example. First Peter two thirteen. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers, or for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. We need to be able to put these people to silence, and we do that by setting a good example. Let me tell you, you start preaching strong against sin in a church, people are going to watch you. You start, you start living that people are going to watch you. They're going to see if you really live it. You know, don't go, like I said, if you go telling your neighbor, you start saying, hey, this is why I go to church, and you give them scripture and they get convicted, they're just going to be waiting for you to miss. They're just going to be waiting for that opportunity to say, yeah, they're phony too. Yeah, I saw them at the ball game instead. I saw, yeah, I don't have to listen to them. It's taking away the conviction. A good example. It gets people to the heart. It cuts them to the heart. And we need those good examples. I just don't like this. I don't think I'll ever make anybody feel bad. And But you know what? Some In the Bible, sometimes they got pretty mean. You know, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12-34, I love what He said to the Pharisees. He says, O generation of vipers. O generation of vipers. I had a lady one time tell me, she's like, you shouldn't ever call people names. Uh, you know, that's probably right most of the time. But I was like, well, Jesus called people names. <laughs> I brought that verse, O generation of vipers. That's not a compliment, by the way. So, and he said, how can ye, being evil, speak but good things? That's, that was me, Jesus. And she's like, well, that's Jesus. Because He was perfect, He was able to do that. And I was like, well, here's the thing. Jesus was, in a way, copying John the Baptist. John the Baptist... Before Jesus said that, and he also Jesus also said in Matthew twenty three thirty three, in fact in twenty three thirty three says, "Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell?" Jesus said that. That wasn't very friendly, but it was true, <laughs> and I bet it was convicting. I know it was because they got upset. But in Matthew chapter three verse seven, before Jesus ever said that. Talking about John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That wasn't very nice either. What wrath to come? Judgment. Judgment's coming your way. You people are in trouble, you generation of vipers. Who warned you? Who warned you? Who told you to come out and listen to this? They weren't coming to listen to him. They were just coming to watch and to criticize. But he took his, hey, who warned you? 
Who told you you need to come and repent like everybody else? Who warned you to come and be baptized? Of course, that wasn't why they were there. And John the Baptist knew it and he called them out. John the Baptist did it. I love what Paul said in Matthew chapter 23. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. That whited wall, what does that mean? Basically, you're a painted wall. You've got it painted, you've got it looking all nice, but it's fake. It's phony. That was a fancy way. I guess back then, you know, that today, what would we call them? You know, what do we call it? You know, just you know, a phony, a hypocrite. He was basically just calling them out. You're just a whited wall. You got a painted face. It's not the you're you're hiding the real you. And so I'm not telling you to go out calling people names. Okay? But I am telling you to use the scripture. Use the word of God. Share it with other people. Be an example. And if you do, it's going to convict. And that's supposed to happen. Our nation needs to be convicted. They need to be made. They, they need to. They need to feel guilty. They and why? So they can repent. Not just to make them feel bad, but so they will repent. So they will get right. So they will get saved. If you've never been convicted, I don't believe you've ever been saved. Simply because to be saved, you have to realize you're a sinner, don't you? Well, if you realize you're a sinner and God's holy, that's going to convict. Otherwise, why did you even call on the Lord? Why call on the Lord if you're not a sinner? Why call on the Lord if you don't need a Savior? What's the whole point? And the Holy Spirit, He's going to convict. And let me tell you something. When you come to church and you get convicted and you go out feeling bad, thank the Lord that He's still speaking to you. When you read your Bible, and you know, I read my Bible so I can feel good. Sometimes you read your Bible, it's going to make you feel bad. It's conviction. And we need old time conviction in our church today. So let's all stand together.